0: Hey friends, welcome back to the table. It is your host, Michaela Bell, and today I'm inviting to the table Kat Harris. She's an author, podcaster, and educator, and let me just tell you, if I could describe Kat in a couple of words, it would be rooted in real. I know the word authentic is slightly overused these days, but at the core of what authenticity is, is the core of who Kat Harris is. I seriously value and appreciate the voice that she has and the way that she's pioneered certain messages around singleness, sex, and dating. I think that when you listen to this conversation, you're going to leave with a new friend. At least that's how I felt. If you guys have been around this podcast for, I don't know, more than like two seconds, (laughs) you know that I love talking about singleness and I especially love being real about it. In my course The Savvy Single we dive very deep into the complexities of singleness but we really focus on who you are as a woman outside of the relationship status that you have. I know that Kat and I totally relate on that. She is also the host of the Refined Collective podcast which is incredible. Go check it out right now or maybe not right now, maybe after this is done. (laughs) She also is the co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman. Her first book, which we talk are talking about today, is called Sexless in the City, which will hit bookstores April 2021, right around the corner. And I have to tell you, she told me about the pre-order bonuses that she has going on right now. So I highly recommend if you're listening to this and you can jump into that pre-order bonus, go for it. Check it out at sexlessinthecitybook.com. Also, as somebody who's writing a book herself, I understand that ordering during the pre-order is seriously like giving the author the biggest hug, high-five ever, and I really want to be a part of championing her and her message, and we're all about that here at A Table for Two. We champion one another's voices, so I'm grateful that Kat was willing to, as always, get raw and honest with her experiences about exploring her own ethics when it comes to sex and relationships and dating. And trust me, we go over a lot in this conversation. You don't want to miss it. Also, we start out this conversation talking a little bit about Tex-Mex, so bear with us for the first couple of minutes as we ooh and ah over food. But hey, I mean, the show is called A Table for Two. <laughs> we talk a little bit about food too. All right, let's jump into it.
1: Okay, Kat, welcome to A Table for Two. I'm so pumped to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be chatting with you and get to know you better and just talk about all the things.
0: All of the things. Before we get into all the things,
1: let's set the table
0: and figure out where we're going for lunch here on this Monday afternoon. So what is your absolute favorite restaurant? Where are we going to imagine ourselves today? Oh, my
1: gosh. (laughs) I feel like it has to be a Tex-Mex place because I am from Texas. Okay. I love chips and salsa and guac and mm. queso. I mm-hmm. love the cheesy probably made from fake cheese queso. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I just love it. Give me some enchiladas <laughs> with sour cream, cheese Ooh. sauce, some refried beans and Spanish rice, you know? Oh, I love it. That's that's what I'm feeling. Right, how do you feel about the greasy texture? Oh, girl. I live for all the grease. (laughs) Yes. You're here for it good. I mean,
0: tacos, burritos are pretty much everything. And Mm -hmm. I also love a good margarita. I don't know
1: if you – do you drink? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. So I have a love-hate relationship with tequila. Okay. (laughs) Tequila literally makes my clothes come off. Mm. Uh, No, but I I don't know if now it's because I'm in my mid-30s, but Mm. I can get so sick off tequila even if it's – one or two margaritas. So I I feel like mainly it's me just becoming super high maintenance and I'm like, I need to have your top (laughs) shelf. (laughs) Uh,
0: No, sometimes for me, it's the sugar, like sweet drinks get me, you know, I, Mm -hmm. that sometimes is, is killer for me, but I do love a well-made margarita every now and then.
1: How do you feel about mezcal? Are you a mezcal girl? Yes. Yeah. -hmm. I like the campfire taste in your mouth. Mm. 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 Just a little taste like man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so do you have a favorite place? If we're talking my all time favorite Tex Mex place, there's two places. One is in my hometown, Coppell, Texas.
0: Okay. It's
1: called Anamias. And it's like the place to be in my small Texas town on a Friday night. So. You go to you go to Anamia's and you get that guac mm-hmm. and then you dress to the nines and it's going to be a good night. All right. I kind of want to imagine ourselves yeah. at Anamia's. Or let me give you one other option. Okay. There's a place in Fort Worth, Texas called T. Garcia's. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's this total, total hole in the wall restaurant mm-hmm. and you walk in. First of all, they put Everclear in their margaritas. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay. Second is they don't have a menu. You either get the fajita plate or the intro- or the taco plate. Ooh, and you just get what you get, and they just keep bringing out food to you all night. The backyard is a jungle. It's huge. You- it's almost like going through the closet in Narnia, the wardrobe, yeah, and then yeah. you're like in this magical Narnia of Tex-Mex, and it's amazing. So those are your options.
0: Oh, man. Okay, now I'm torn. <laughs> Can we start at one place and then go to the other?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Uh, all right, cool. Well, I'm excited about our Tex-Mex <laughs> Monday date here.
1: Love it. Love so it. So
0: fun. Well, I would love for you to introduce yourself and just share what you do and also like why your work that you're doing lights your soul on fire.
1: Yeah. So I am a a now author, which is kind of crazy to say. Mm -hmm. I wrote the book called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. Mm -hmm. I host the podcast, The Refined Collective, and I've had an online blog for the last nine years called The Refined Woman. Mm -hmm. And why I do all of it is... I kind of realized recently this thing about me that's always been true, but I didn't really know it was my secret sauce. And if there's an elephant in the room, I'm addressing it. Mm. If there's a a hard question to be asked that no one wants to ask, I'm going to ask it out loud.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I've kind of said it like this for many years. I ruffle feathers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just realized recently that I ask the questions often that most people want to ask but don't know they have the permission to ask. Mm, that's good. And I think that that has Created a really beautiful community um, and a, mm-hmm. a space for honesty and authenticity and growth because I don't feel like we can ever really grow unless we give each other the permission to first of all be where we're really at in the yeah. process of our story yeah. and then be honest with where we're at and ask honest questions and doubt honestly and courageously. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I do is like yourself. I do a lot of coaching towards single women. Mm-hmm. and I talk a lot about theology, spirituality, and sexuality, relationships, intimacy, and really in whatever season you're in, how to show up from a place of wholeness and freedom oh. as opposed to fear, scarcity, and that little monster shame.
0: Oh, yes, yeah. so and we're going to for sure dive into some of that, but <laughs> have you always been somebody that like ruffles feathers? Was that something... That like you've had since you were
1: a kid or have you stepped into that because of some healing that you've done? I've always been that way. My, my dad tells me this story and it's one of those things that I didn't even, it's so a part of the fabric of who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm just a, I'm just a truth teller. Are you an eight? (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. I'm not. Although I was just on a podcast recently and he was convinced I was an eight. Um, I have a, I have mad risk. I have like, I get, I'm like, mad protection over the underdog for sure. Yeah. Um but my dad tells this story from when I was little and we were at my brother's baseball game and we were leaving and he ran into a guy from his work and you know I'm what 6 years old mm-hmm. and my dad introduces me to his coworker and I lean over to my dad in front of the coworker and go, "Well, he's a real fixer upper." <laughs> And my dad just like put his hand over his face and was like, oh, sorry, bye. <laughs> and he to this day, he's like, he was a fixer-upper. How did you know that? <laughs> um, but I've just kind of always been a person that has said, spoken my truth. Mm-hmm. I think if anything that I've really had to hone is to learn timing mm-hmm. and grace and sometimes surrendering, surrendering the idea of being right for a relationship. Because mm. just because you're right doesn't mean you're right. You know what I'm saying? I, you can I'm be exactly right and saying. really mm-hmm. wrong mm-hmm. with how you approach life. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, that that's so, so true. So mm-hmm. when you um when you decided – or like what was the driving force behind – writing the book or what made you keep going with writing? Cause I'm right now writing a book and it's just not, it's n- not what I thought it was. What's going to be like, let's just be it's,
1: honest. It's the worst. It's so hard.
0: <laughs> it really is so hard. And I've interviewed so many authors. I was just talking to, um, do you know who Jordan Raynor is? I don't. Oh. oh, he's such a great author. Um, but I was just talking to him about writing a book and everything, how it's just not what you think it is. And so your why has to be such a massive driving force. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so what was that? Like what made you feel like this book needs to be in this world?
1: Yeah. Well, gosh, a few things. <sighs> First of all, I don't know if you know Anne Lamont. Do you know who mm-hmm. Anne Lamont is? Mm-hmm. Have you read her book Bird by Bird? I have not. Stop. Li- pause this freaking conversation right now. Go to Amazon. Do yourself a favor. Buy Bird by Bird. It's a book about how to write, but mm. it's not. It's not what you think it is. If if you never ever were to write a book, you should read this book because it's hilarious. Mm, mm-hmm. She's such a funny writer, but she just talks about how. Crazy, you feel when you're writing, you're like, Oh my gosh, I should wait. My tooth hurts. I think I need dental work. Wait, do I have? <laughs> I think I'm bipolar. I think I need to yes. go to the doctor. I think I need yep. to clean under my bed. And the hardest part about writing is actually sitting down and writing.
0: Mm-hmm. We love
1: talking about the idea of writing, but when you actually have to sit down and do the damn thing, it's yeah, it's freaking hard. It's real hard. So, um, why did I write my book? Well. I think three big reasons is, first, I grew up in Texas, so the belt buckle of the Bible Belt South. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the early early 2000s, 90s, during the height of what has been coined the purity movement mm-hmm. in evangelical culture. So that was a movement that was basically a huge marketing campaign to get to get high school students, not to have sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And I would like to, I would like to think that there were good intentions behind Mm -hmm. that, but Mm -hmm. good intentions really don't mean much if the consequences are toxic. So I learned a set of rules and do's and don'ts about sex, dating, my body, gender Mm -hmm. roles that really didn't have a lot of vision Mm-hmm. But just it was do this, don't do that. Good Christians don't have sex. If you want to be good, do do this, don't yes. do that. Mm-hmm. And that worked for me until it didn't work.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I found myself in my late 20s on the heels of a breakup living in New York and realizing outside of because, quote unquote, the Bible told me so, mm-hmm. I had no idea what I believed about sex yeah. or God for that matter. And so I, before this was a book, it was a personal journey of me giving myself the permission to ask really pointed questions. Like, does the Bible really say not to have sex outside of marriage? Is that still a thing? Is it just some antiquated Christian norm that's no longer relevant? And really teasing out some of the narratives that I was given that was re- that were really rooted in shame, for example... My body is bad. It's, the, it's a woman's job to uphold the, the entire male population's sexual integrity because, yeah. quote unquote, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. A woman's job is to serve her husband. So just really problematic narratives that for first and foremost for myself, I needed to get to the bottom of yeah. because I believe any statement that's rooted in fear, shame, scarcity, condemnation is not true. Mm-hmm. Like That's not truth. Like truth, mm-hmm. truth says it's free, right? Truth yes. is is rooted in wholeness, love, abundance. And so I had to dismantle a bunch on my own before I could rebuild and then know how to how I wanted to practically walk out in my dating life. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, why did I write this book? Because it was the book I didn't have that I needed. Yeah. I was the voice. <laughs> I became the voice and teacher that I didn't have. And then reasons two and three are – I was really tired of mostly male pastors, mostly white male pastors at that telling Mm -hmm. me a set of rules about dating my body and sex when they got married at, what, 19 or 20? Amen. Yeah. (laughs) And had no idea what it was actually like to date. And then also – take it another layer, many of those same male pastors have now been exposed mm-hmm. for sexual scandal or moral, moral failures. And mm-hmm. so I just felt like, you know, I'm just... Honestly, you guys have really lost the right to speak into my life. First yes. of all, you don't know what you're asking me to abstain from because you got married at 19. So what? You didn't have sex for two years? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm 35. <laughs> like <laughs> mm-hmm. Seriously? Um, and I just felt really tired of shaming rules. So I just felt as though I wanted to write something from a perspective of someone who was living it. and mm-hmm. And it's the book that I needed.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important. And I know for me, like, okay, so I did everything quote unquote, right. Right. I went to college. Mm. I got my degree. I literally walked off my graduation stage, mm. took off my gown and stepped into my wedding dress and got married. Like, it was like a week after I graduated college. and um, And I was in a very emotionally, verbally abusive marriage, but he was a prominent person in the church. And there were so many different things that were the different narratives that were rolling around in my head while I was married. But one of my thoughts too, was, especially around sex, was, why don't we talk about this? Why why is it so filled with, um, we just don't have it? Yeah, but why? And also, let's start talking about the desires that we have. And Um, and what good sex is, what Mm -hmm. intimacy is, what happens to the body biologically when you're, when you've had sex with somebody, like Mm -hmm. I, after, when I went through my divorce and I started really struggling with like my desires, my sexual desires, and I still labeled them as very shameful. Mm.
1: Um,
0: but I just like you kind of went through this personal journey of, let me explore, um, what this whole thing really is and decide for myself because there's a major difference between you know um not having sex before marriage because you were told to or shamed into that decision and then making the decision for yourself um there's a major difference between those two those two different things those two different positions absolutely
1: one is Being externally motivated through shame, Mm -hmm. and another is being internally motivated. And how one of my leaders in my life says it is he says, There are two types of people in in the world. And granted, this obviously there's more than two types of people, (laughs) but he says, There's a let's say both people. Have smoked cigarettes for years, and they want to quit because they realize, okay, this, you know, this really isn't good for me. It's mm-hmm. um, this is unhealthy, and they're standing on a street corner, and someone goes up to them and says, "Hey, do you want a cigarette?" And one person replies, "Oh no, man, I'm really trying to quit. Oh my gosh, it, it smells really good, but no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really just trying to quit." And the other person responds, "No, thanks, I'm not a smoker." Hmm. And one person is externally motivated, but their heart is still in the place of, oh, I really want this thing, but I shouldn't want it. Mm -hmm. Let me white knuckle my way through this experience. And the other person has shifted the conversation around their identity. I am not a smoker. And so I think the same when we talk about sexual ethic is – how I want to show up from a place of autonomy and agency in my life and mm. in every area of my life. And that even yes means sexually. So if I'm coming from a place, regardless of whether or not I'm a Christian or not, or if I'm choosing to have sex before marriage or not, I want to be able to say in any sexual encounter what that I, whether I'm not, I'm not choosing to have sex and it's because all of these reasons, and I feel so excited and great about that and at peace about this. Or, I and if I'm on the other side of the spectrum, I want to be able to say, Yeah, I feel really good about casual sex and it feels honoring to me, and here's why, as opposed to any time we're entering in, into any sort of sexual encounter where we feel obligated or like I have to or I should or I should or I should not. Mm-hmm. That is. That's where toxicity and the problems really, really start to enter.
0: Yes, 1000%. And if you can learn this too, like in your single season, it really does make a difference in your married season because there's a, you know, especially people coming from like that purity culture of, If for years of your life, when you're single, you just suppressed any desire that you had or, you know, any feelings or emotions, you just suppress them for Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. All and now you're married, it doesn't just like with a flip of a switch, it doesn't change. You're still going to feel shame Mm -hmm. around that. So it's like learning how to heal that. And I think that's why this book is so important for people to read. Honestly, whether you're married or not, I think a lot of us have a lot of healing to do no matter what our relationship status might be.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the first steps is to normalize sex. Yes, please. The desire for sex is one of the most human and normal and natural desires. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would go to say if you never think about sex or that's not something that's ever been on your mind, I would wonder if a part of you has been has chosen to be shut down or has been shamed into shutting down their sexual desire. Mm-hmm. And I believe that when God created humanity in the be- in the beginning of the creation story in Genesis, God breathes breathes dignity and value and worth into the human experience and says Mm -hmm. humans reflect the God image and that humans are very good. Mm -hmm. God didn't say only your spirit is good or only your Mm -hmm. mind is good or only your right hand. God said humans reflect the God image and are very good. So what that tells me right there is that as opposed to often the cultural invitation is you are your desire. You Mm -hmm. are the sum of your urges and lead with your desire. So urges and pleasure and completion is the most important thing about us. So do what feels good, instant gratification, do what you want when you want. To do it, I feel like that's sort of the cultural invitation that we are our identity is our desire. And then Mm -hmm. often in church cultures, it's like, shut it down. Your desire Mm -hmm. is gross. One of my favorite quotes, I have it in my book, it's by this person, Butch Hancock. And he says, Life in Lubbock, Texas taught me two things. One is that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell, the other is that sex is the most awful, filthy thing on earth and you should save it for someone you love. (laughs) and I read that and I instantly was like I need that in my book but also how true we have we we teach a message that we are compartmentalized beings Mm -hmm. and that sexual desire is gross bad sex is taboo and we create absolute shame around that we and so we shut down part of what it means to be human Mm-hmm. And in that, we we shut down part of the God image in us. Yeah. And so I just go back to that original text. God breathed the breath of life into humanity and said, we are very good. So that means my sexuality is not who I am, like culture says, but it's a part of who I am. Yeah. And so that means regardless of my relationship status, there are beautiful and healthy ways to express my desire in ways that feel in alignment with my values. And it also teaches the idea that we are not compartmentalized beings. Mm. Because mm-hmm. I believe we can't shut down part of us without shutting down all of us. All of us. One of one of my old coaches used to say it this way, you're either pregnant or you're not. <laughs> so you can't just completely shut down your sexual desire and live mm-hmm. as an integrated human mm-hmm. being. Right. Yeah. That's so good. There was one of those As you were talking, I was
0: thinking about this one. I think it's Brene Brown that always talks about the difference between like guilt and shame. Like, guilt says, Mm. this is what I've done, and shame says, this is who I am. Yeah. And yeah, shame says,
1: I am bad. Yeah. And guilt says, I did something bad.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Can you walk us through that process of what it was like for you to personally discover your own sex ethics? Okay, before we get into Kat's juicy answer to this question, I want to tell you about something special I'm doing for y'all that are listening right now. I have a, a workshop called the Own Your Now Workshop, where I talk about my three shifts framework to finding fulfillment that nobody tells you about. I see you. I know that everywhere you look, you're being reminded of everything that you don't have and things that you want. We are constantly bombarded with images, slogans, commercials, and TV shows that romanticize where we quote unquote should be in life. And I want to help people learn how to embrace their right now season, because I believe that until you value where you are right now, you won't be invited to your next. And I want you to find the level of contentment and fulfillment that you deserve to have right now. So don't wait. There's more info in the show notes and a special price just for you. Okay. Let's jump back in and listen to Kat's answer to this question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So first first of all, I think what I want to share is my agenda isn't to convince <laughs> single people not to have sex.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: that's between you and God. Mm-hmm. What, what I would love to do is to equip you to walk out with a healthy sexual ethic yeah, and have access to a more robust, beautiful, compelling God story about relationships mm-hmm. and intimacy Amen. and sexuality. Mm-hmm. So for me, I in the wakes of this breakup, one of the first things I did was I researched every single verse in the Bible that talked about sex mm-hmm. because I didn't know if the Bible actually said that. I felt really weary because all I knew was these – leaders that had told me to do this thing, I had never looked it up myself.
0: Mm-hmm. So the first
1: thing I did was look it up myself and found, yes, okay, there is actually a, a precedence in the scriptures to experience sex within the context of marriage. So I thought, okay, so what else? Let me not just look at the Bible. Where are other places I can learn truth? Well, I looked at science I said, okay, what happens in our bodies neurologically when we orgasm with other people, mm-hmm. when we experience sexual intimacy with other people? And I learned things like how dopamine and oxytocin is released not only in orgasm, but in pleasurable sexual experiences and the outpouring of dopamine, which is the that reward center in our brains. It creates this a neural pathway in our brain when we experience pleasure with another person, and our brains are always trying to create patterns, and so that it, so things can be automated. Yep. So it it says, okay, we experience pleasure with this person, and then let's say you experience another pleasurable experience with that person. Oh, see, okay, this is how we experience pleasure. And so that the bicycle groove of that neuropathway is getting more and more worn in. So the beautiful thing about something like dopamine being released in orgasm is unlike what much of culture can say that marriage or monogamy can be the death of spontaneous amazing sex, science would actually lead us to believe that sex with one person over a long span of time can actually be the beginning of the best sex of your life because the more you experience sexual intimacy with one person over a long span of time, the Mm -hmm. more that dopamine reward center is triggered Mm -hmm. and that neuropathway is Grooved deeper and deeper, and at some point, even the thought of that person can become arousing. Mm-hmm. Now, this is also why something like pornography can be extremely devastating because we teach our bodies what how we want to be aroused, and so you can be in a loving relationship and not be able to become aroused by your partner because you've you've coached and taught your body that you you. Are, are aroused and reach completion through pornography. Mm-hmm. So another thing that happens when we orgasm and experience intimacy is oxytocin is released. And that oxytocin is that feel-good hormone. It it literally is a hormone inside us that gives us the capacity to bond with another human being. And so because of this oxytocin release, there are sociologists like Helen Fisher who says there's no such thing as casual sex. Mm-hmm. The, neuro- the neurology of our brain simply won't allow for it. And so when I researched science, that felt, wow, that's not what I was expecting yeah. to learn. And then I looked at my own experience and my own, my own sexual experiences. And I will say that I don't regret any of the experiences I've ever had. I'm so grateful even for the ones that maybe weren't as positive, because every every moment taught me something. Mm-hmm. But I looked back on most of my relationships, and I saw, for instance, I dated a guy off and on for several several years, who I feel very confident that if we had never gotten physical, I mm-hmm. probably would have gone on two dates max with him. <laughs> and then oh he's a jerk <laughs> yep and we actually have nothing in common and i i, I kind of saw this pattern over and over again that the physical as amazing as it is and i am a huge proponent of physical connection that it kind of muddied the waters and yeah. me discerning is this an is this person an actual good fit for me so it felt really compelling to me to withhold the physical for at least a period of time Mm -hmm. so that I could kind of decide, oh, do we have things in common? Do we share values? Do we we have a friendship? Can we laugh Mm -hmm. together? Can we fight well together? And then I think something that also felt really compelling to me is when i did look at the the bible story i saw in the genesis 2 bible story adam and eve you know they get married they have sex mm-hmm. and i looked up what hebrew culture was like and uh, if a, if a guy wanted to marry a girl he had to go to their fam her family right and like basically propose to the family <laughs> yeah yeah and that <laughs> marriage if that marriage proposal was accepted they would not get married until the the Jewish guy would go back and build a house mm-hmm. for his bride and so i saw all these things within that first of all is there's none of this are we dating are we not none of these late night you up text yeah. <laughs> Are we friends or are we not? Right. right. No, this guy's intentions were loud and proud. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew. Mm -hmm. So she knew his intentions. Her family knew. Their friends knew. The whole freaking town knew because then he goes back home and is building her a house. So mm-hmm. day in and day out, he is showing her with his time, with his resources, with his actions and his words that he's a one-woman kind of guy and mm-hmm. he's willing to do whatever it takes so that she would feel safe in yep. relationship to him. Mm-hmm. This also shows me that he has a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, typically, there were family mm-hmm. businesses and yep. so this is often why homes were built onto. to the man's family house because they were typically family businesses. So he wasn't some, you know, Oh yeah, I'm like pursuing my passion project on the side. Right. He was a man with a plan. Yep. And then, then they get married and, and then they have sex. So it's almost in the Bible story, it almost felt as though that sex is this like physical manifestation of this Mm -hmm. like mind, body, soul, spirit connection and commitment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine how safe and secure it would feel to be in a relationship where over a span of time, both parties have shown like, I'm here for you. I'm not Mm -hmm. hiding this relationship from other people. Mm -hmm. And together – we're saying no to something that's really good, which is sex. Sex is a really awesome thing. So we're saying no to something incredibly good in the moment for the sake of a greater vision in the future. Mm -hmm. And that just, all of that kind of together, to answer your question, there's no short answer for me as to why I'm choosing to abstain. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. all of that together. It's okay. There is a Bible invitation and I'm choosing to be a follower of Jesus. And and. Science feels like really compelling to me and being my word to myself feels compelling to me, finishing mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be with someone who's actually a good fit for me, not someone that I just have sexual chemistry with. Yeah. And there's something powerful about saying no to something good in the moment mm-hmm. for a greater vision in the future. Um, so all of those reasons felt really compelling to me and way more compelling than, Good Christians should shouldn't have sex before marriage. So if you want to sit at the table, then don't do this. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, I, there are so many things that I, <laughs> I want to say in that. But one of the things that I talk a lot about this, just in, in my coaching and everything with with single women, is exploring and not being afraid of science. Because uh, and one of the things my pastor, um, his name is Doctor Darius Daniels, and um, he always says like i invite you to bring your brain to church like i invite you to explore things and i love one thing you said earlier in this conversation to doubt honestly mm. and and being able to ask ourselves these questions and learn about science and about the body and it's one of the things i teach like let's talk about what happens biologically when you have sex, emotionally when you have sex. And there's so many terms that, that we use, like soul ties would be kind mm. of similar, you know, mm. from a religious standpoint. But there's also science backed behind it. And sometimes that helps you to have a different level of understanding um, that, I don't know, like our brains sometimes, I think, crave that. And then also recognizing your patterns in relationships – I think so many people we go from relationship to relationship, from you know, this person to this person. And I think there's so much power in a pause of saying, okay, let me look back at that relationship for a second. What did I like? What did I like about how I showed up? What did I not like? Did I um kind of succumb to doing what he likes to do all the time? Did I stand up for myself? Did I lose my values in some of that? Um, and, and really exploring. What you liked and what you don't like, because you can learn so
1: much from your own patterns, you, especially absolutely, in relationships. Absolutely, right? and it can be so easy, right? To say, "Oh, well, guys are guys only want one thing, or there's no <laughs> good guys left. All the good ones are taking, or mm-hmm. or are, are taken, or online dating doesn't work, or mm-hmm. I." guys only want to be my friend. When we just place blame externally, I don't want to dismiss the reality of my experience, your experience, our experiences. However, I am the common denominator in Mm -hmm. any relationship, circumstance, moment that I participate with. Yeah. So I am the pattern. (laughs) What (laughs) patterns am I creating and participating Mm -hmm. with in my life? And I think the best thing we can do is pause and get curious about our own story and how we're showing Mm -hmm. up. And often we have these patterns because we have past trauma on loop. And until we look back at our past and wade through the waters of our own story, we will continue creating unhealthy patterns in our lives or, or we will continue to create the narratives that we're so committed to, whether it's, I'm always the friend. Well, if you, if that's how you're showing up,
0: Mm-hmm. I used to
1: believe that. And so mm-hmm. I I wouldn't even go talk to a guy at a party because I believed that narrative so securely mm-hmm. that anything that did or didn't happen became evidence for that. Yeah. And then I wouldn't even put myself out there because then eventually I just assumed, well, yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna like me that way. So I won't even try.
0: Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think our patterns oftentimes reveal our thought patterns too. Like our our, um, relational patterns reveal a lot about our thought patterns. And that is sometimes what we need to learn how to, to pause and rewrite some of that narrative. Mm. Um, you know, I love reading and listening to like Caroline, Dr. Caroline Leaf. And, um, you know, she gives this one example that, okay, if you're like in, hiking or like in a meadow or something and you see a pathway that's been gone you know a lot of people have gone down it so it's just easy we're like oh okay that's the way that's the thought that i keep saying over and over and over again it's Mm. a well-worn path it's just easier to see but you can choose to to make a new path it's gonna be a little uncomfortable you have to like chop down the brush and start making your way and you got to go down that path over and over again and then when you're staying on that path the other path that was well worn it starts to grow other things and and all of a sudden after a while you know you can't really find that place but you can create new thoughts okay. and and create new narratives in your mind that really have an effect on relational things that that are going on in your life i used to say all the time i'm bad at relationships i had two massive breakups one Mm -hmm. after the other. And I just thought, I must not be good at relationships. And that Mm -hmm. was like a thing of mine. And so uh, I also had this really strong narrative around endings. I think it's important for people to look at their narratives around endings. Um, And I was so afraid of things ending that I wouldn't start things. Mm, Yeah. So like even just learning how to, like you said, I'm always the friend. Mm Mm-hmm catching those thoughts, like it says in the Bible, you know, making them captive to God and rewriting some of those in a healthy way.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. I think it's so important to really be able to identify what are the beliefs that I'm holding on to? Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. And then why do these beliefs feel true? Why do you feel like you're not good at relationships? Well, you probably had a couple experiences that led you to believe that.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: guess what? You're human. I'm human, which means there's going to always be opportunities to grow in every area. Yes, even in my relationship capacity and how I show up in my relationships. And so I think it takes being willing to have a posture of curiosity about who I am, how I'm showing up, and then the courage to take responsibility. Yeah. Mm, that. I'm all, I'm bad at relationships if I say I am. hmm uh, And and if I am committed to that narrative, all I'm gonna look for, we're evidence. Well, like, like we're evidence hunters. Like our yes. brains, our brains are pattern lookers or mm-hmm. pattern seekers. So our brains are looking for those patterns. So okay You've told your brain, your thought told your brain that you're bad at relationships. So now, every time something that happens that might smell similar to that, your mm-hmm. brain is adding to that neural pathway. This is why it's so important to take our thoughts captive and to hold and embody the idea that at any part of the story, I have the permission to change.
0: Yes, that part right there. I and it, it might
1: not be easy, mm-hmm. growth. Growth is not easy. It can be filled with ease, but it often is filled with pain and hard, hard moments of looking back, back on our pasts and can feel really scary. But I believe there's no greater work.
0: Mm, I'm so with you on that. Um, I just wrote something the other day like uh, God's grace is free, but your growth isn't.
1: <laughs> mm, so it,
0: good. It costs something, but it is so worth it. It is so mm. worth it. So when people pick up your book, let's say there's a, a woman, she's in Target, she's looking at the cover of mm. your book. What's one thing that you wish you could tell her before she assumes anything?
1: I think that my goal is not to tell people what to do or not to do. So my goal isn't to tell you here's 10 reasons why you shouldn't have sex. My my heart is to first hopefully by you experiencing my story that you also experience that you have the permission to ask hard questions mm-hmm. you have the permission to dig into your own story and i want you to leave equipped with the tools to develop a healthy sexual ethic that also has a hopefully a a, a more robust vision outside of a set of rules um, and that honestly, no matter who you are or what you do or do not believe or whether you are in or out of a relationship, that hopefully my story can help you feel a little bit more seen and known and in your experience of being human. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Second imagination situation here. Mm-hmm. I just, um, okay, you're on a beach, mm-hmm. right? And you look over to the woman that's next to you and you see your book in her hands. Mm -hmm. Two questions. First, what do
1: you feel? Oh my gosh. I feel honored and also probably scared. Mm. It's super vulnerable. I mean, I'm very proud of my book and there are also parts of it that I wish were different, Mm. but we can't At some point, you kind of have to let it go and put it out there. And so I think I would feel honored that someone would take the time to invest into my words and also – the insecurity part of me would be like, does she like it? Does she like me? Am I worthy? Am I enough? Is my story okay? Am I a good writer?
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're human. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. What Would you ask her anything? Would you
1: like engage in a conversation? If I just saw some random person reading my book? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it would honestly depend on how I was feeling that day. Mm-hmm. I can sometimes be the most extroverted person in the world, and other days I just want to be invisible and hide behind my shadow. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I w- I'm always interested in curious in people's thoughts, and so I would be probably, let's say, I wanted to go up to her, I would be cur- curious and say, "Hey, I'm so curious about your thoughts about this. Is there anything mm-hmm. that resonates? Is there anything that 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 doesn't feel that doesn't resonate with you? Mm-hmm. What questions do you have?
0: Yeah." Yeah, I love that. I always just think it would be so interesting um to like be able to talk to the author of a book. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think that that, that's so interesting to I I wonder what people would say or what question you would ask her. So Mm -hmm. um how would you okay, so you're single right now, right?
1: Yes, ma'am.
0: And how are you navigating today's dating culture?
1: Yeah, well, especially in pandemic times. I've been doing a lot of online dating Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's great. Sometimes I need a break from it. So I usually give a couple months, uh, usually two or three months being super intentional about it. And by that, I mean really making a point to go on six days a week, 15 minutes a day, starting conversations, swiping, setting up times to meet with people. And then I'll take a break because sometimes I I feel burnt out. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm just trying to be open. I, when I'm, I'm I will always tell a friend, Hey, if you have anyone you want to set me up with totally open. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm open. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm doing the online dating thing. I'm putting in my 10,000 hours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's so true. What do they say? It takes 10,000 hours to become a master or something, but okay. So question for you. What would, what
1: advice would you give to somebody who's frustrated right now with their dating season? (laughs) It only takes one. Mm. You don't need a hundred. You don't need a hundred guys. You just need one. Yeah. And I want to encourage you to view dating as very low pressure and very low stakes. Mm -hmm. I always say dating is a curb, not a cliff. You're, You're just going from the sidewalk to the street you're mm-hmm. not jumping off the cliff into the abyss. Yeah. So it's okay if you don't know if you want to marry the person after a few dates. Mm-hmm. It's okay if it takes time to get to get to know them. Dating is a low-pressure, low-stakes game. Mm. And so I think in that, um, take responsibility for how you're showing up. Yeah. If you're single because that is – what God has for you, yay, God. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I have a great life. Mm -hmm. If you're single because you're in your own way, then Mm -hmm. you can take responsibility for that. So no better time than today than to work through your past, hire a therapist, go through a 12-step program, Mm -hmm. really work on, on your past because if we don't heal our past, it will follow us. And I know at least for me, mine was haunting me for a long time. Yeah. And manifesting itself in really beautiful ways in my dating life by attracting emotionally (laughs) unavailable narcissistic type men. Let me just work out all my daddy issues on them. Mm -hmm. And so be willing to take responsibility for how you're showing up and put, put yourself out there. Put yourself Mm -hmm. out there. I think we are so intentional about every other area of our lives, our careers. We will invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into our education. We'll move cross country and work for free on internships. We'll work crazy Mm -hmm. hours. But then with dating, we'll say really weird things like, well, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Or, well, I don't want to play God. Well, Mm -hmm. okay. Is it possible (laughs) that you can collaborate with God? You know, a brain surgeon doesn't pray their way into – medical Mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can pray about it, but also take active steps. If dating is a priority, if a relationship is a priority to you, does your time reflect that that is a value?
0: Mm, That's so good right there. So essentially what I'm hearing is like taking ownership.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Which is my little tagline is own your now, like own your right now season. Cause I just think that you know, God wants us to own our, our right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, faithful with little, faithful with much, Mm -hmm. but I love, so like really taking, taking ownership of that, um, for dessert, is there anything, one last treat from you that you would love to, to leave everyone with?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, be curious. Just be curious mm-hmm. about your own story and be curious about other people as well. I think when I show up with a posture of curiosity in my own heart, in my own life, I'm able to then take more curiosity. Huh? I wonder why I responded that way to that person. Mm-hmm. Huh? I wonder why I'm resistant to online dating. Mm-hmm. Huh? I wonder why I am constantly in the friend zone. And then in dating, show up with a posture of curiosity as opposed yeah. to, is this person going to be my partner? Right. Wow. This is a, a human being that God really loves. Mm. And that I don't think God creates boring things. Right. So how can I show up with a posture of curiosity knowing whether this person becomes a friend, someone I never see again, or my partner? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. This person has a story. And how can I be curious about getting to know a person for who they are, as opposed to who I want them to be for me? Mm, that's really good, Kat. I love that so much. Being being curious, I think that you can
0: take that into so many areas mm-hmm. of your life, whether it's career or relationship. Um, you know, working on your internal healing, your relationship with God, friendships just get curious. Yes. Yes. And amen. (laughs) Mm. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, I want you to know that I see you and I'm grateful for the hours that you put into this book. I really believe that you're going to be touching a lot of people's lives and just that feeling of, Hey, I'm not alone. Yeah. is incredibly powerful and I think so needed and necessary in the world that we live in mm, right now. And so I just want to honor you and um just acknowledge the work that you've put in so I'm I'm really excited. What is what is, or where can everybody find you? I would love yeah. to d- I know like you have an incredible podcast. Um, and yeah, if you can shout out where they can
1: buy the book, where they listen to the podcast, where they can find you. For sure, for sure. So, you can get my book at com. I have a really fun, it's almost like a movie trailer of my book there. So, com. You can order it from there. You can get some awesome free goodies that I created alongside the book for you and get discount codes to my shop, all of that. My weekly podcast is The Refined Collective. We always have some mm. real talk over there. And my Instagram and website is The Refined Woman.
0: Awesome. And I'll have everything in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for showing up, for being willing to just be real and raw with your story. Uh, I'm so excited to see uh,
1: just how God uses you in in the future. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun.
0: Well, friends, thank you for grabbing a seat at the table today. Your presence matters and your story matters. I want to know what your biggest takeaway was from today's conversation with Kat. Was there something that she said that you really resonated with? Are you so pumped to order this book? I hope that so many of you do because part of this community and this platform i want to use it to help champion other people's voices and we get an opportunity to do that to be able to support the this message and this mission how cool to be a part of something like that again i'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode share it with us on Instagram and make sure you tag at Michaela Bell and at the refined woman cat. And I would both love to hear what your biggest takeaways were. So tag us and I'll be sure to share and reshare that on Instagram. I love you guys. We'll see you next time at the table.